Let me assure you that Joan and I are the privileged ones in being with you today. And thank uh, the elders, and thanks James and Kathleen, and thank all who had a part in putting the day together. I especially want to say uh, a special thanks to all of you responsible for the meal today. I fared sumptuously, didn't you? In fact, I'm going to fare sumptuously for the rest of the day, I think. But it was wonderful, and I enjoyed all of you that I got to visit with. Speaking at any time uh, is a challenge. I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity, but it is also a challenge in terms of being able to keep your audience or be able to keep your listeners, but especially at this hour, right? And it reminds me of my first summer, or the summer after my first year, my freshman year at Freedom Hardeman. I was back home and I was working Monday through Saturday during the week, but preaching at four different congregations, four different Sundays. And I did that for two summers and loved them all. And I remember one, at one congregation that the, the brother who was in charge, a longtime family friend, but who was in charge, these were all rural congregations. And... Uh, the, the gentleman that was in charge of, you know, opening the service every time and making announcements, which is a huge challenge, uh, he would do well all the way through the song service. But as soon as I got up in the pulpit, he was out like a light every single time. And, you know, I, I just thought that was wrong, Brother Billy. I, and so I, I mustered the courage. He was a big man. He was a big farmer. And he had a big name, John B. Travis. And so one Sunday night I determined, okay, this is, this is the time. I'm going to confront him. Always the last one out. And he came out and I said, John B., I've got something to, to talk to you about if you've got a minute. He said, why, sure. And I said, John B., you know that I love you. I have loved you my whole life. But I got a problem. I work really hard on my lessons and you go to sleep on me every single time. It's just not right. And he squeezed my hand even harder and stuck up his left hand with the forefinger like this, pointed at my face. Billy, if I didn't trust you, I'd stay awake. I didn't know what to say, but I said, I said, is that what that means? And he says, of course it's what it means. I said, well, you sleep on because I want you. So I've had a number of people come in, you know, and say things like on an afternoon service like this. I'm going to trust you, Brother Billy, this afternoon. James, probably a few more in classes, you know, have said things like that to me. I'm not, I'm not pointing out anybody in particular here, but uh, so grateful for the chance to be with you and uh, look forward to greeting you as we close today. Okay, uh, let's see if I can uh, get us on the right page here. Oops, boy. Okay, can I just say next slide, guys? I'm not doing very well, okay? Uh, this passage in Romans 12 is, is very special. The whole chapter is one of the great chapters of the entire Bible. 
I did not have the chance to have Brother Dixon, H.A. Dixon, as a, a Bible class teacher when I was at Freed Hardman. He was president uh, during my freshman year and uh, through the fall semester of my sophomore year. Great, godly, spiritual man. And uh, he, uh, in the middle of my sophomore year, had a heart attack and passed. But uh, I've heard that it was said when he taught the book of Romans, uh, he, he was known for teaching Romans and Hebrews and Revelation. This in addition to uh, being president of the college for 20 years. And Bible classes, Bible text classes back in those years were four days a week, not three or two. So how he did all that, I have no idea. But he called Romans chapter 12 a miniature of the entire Bible. Um, verses 1 and 2 are extremely familiar. I present you therefore, brethren, or, or I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know, you, you're very familiar with that passage. You skip down to verse 9 through 21, and you've got a, like 15 different proverbial-like statements that some of the best basic Bible uh, fundamentals that you could possibly hope to study. It's this paragraph in between that Paul talks about uh, the body, the physical body, or the spiritual body, which is the church, is like the physical body that he also discusses in 1 Corinthians 12. And he goes into more detail in that chapter about, you know, the eye is not jealous of the, of the ear that it cannot hear, and the ear is not jealous of the nose that it cannot smell, and on and on his example went. But he says in the physical body, every part of the body does what God designed it to do. And I don't know if you've uh, thought about this very much or not. There, there are many of us who are growing more and more accustomed to replacement parts, you know, like hip replacement and knee replacement and joint replacement of just about every kind. Some of us need brain replacement. So nothing that man has made or invented is better than what we started with the original, right? What God has given us originally. He is the great designer, the great creator, the great sustainer, as well as the great savior. What I want to do is draw three quick points from our reading today, and then make application the way Paul does, and then close. <laughs> oh, let's go to the next slide. Um, in verse three, he makes the point that a man should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, what I'm talking about is in the work of the congregation, you know, why is it that some people are so converted to the Lord like from day one that there never is any question, all, and they prove it all through the course of their life. They're going to be faithful. They're going to be involved. When the doors are open, they're going to be there. If something needs to be done, they may have already done it. I mean, those kind of people. And then there are those who obey the gospel with all sincerity but gradually, if not almost immediately sometimes, there are too many of us that fall away. One person who falls away is too many. And just think about if, 
if everyone that we baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins to be added to the church, if everyone remained faithful to the Lord, how much larger the church would be worldwide. But the Lord promised that things like this are going to happen. But another reason why that some may drift away or fall away or be very easily taken away is because of perhaps not finding their place of service in the church. I appreciated this morning the announcement about two additional deacons being added and that they will be given uh, specific assignments uh, that you will learn about later. Well, that's exactly what, what is supposed to happen. Elders have to oversee everything and deacons serve in whatever capacity they're asked to serve. But typically and normally it's something that is matched up with one's skill, attitude, disposition, personality. Uh, again, skills is very, very important. So the first thing that we want to note about this passage is when Paul says we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves but to think with sound judgment, I think the other side of that coin is we should not think too lowly of ourselves. There are some who do not want to step up to the plate because they lack the confidence that they can do what elders, for instance, see in them that they can do. Now it's true, we must have desire for certain positions and tasks, just like in our professions. But sometimes people can see things that we can't see. They can see the possibilities that we cannot see uh, in ourselves. And so we need, to, we need to think soberly about you know, where we are and who we are and what it is that we're able to do, again, to contribute to the Lord's work. All we want to do is contribute to the Lord's work, helping the church grow, helping the kingdom expand throughout all the world. As the Lord said, it's going to start out as small as a mustard seed, and then it's going to grow to be such a tree that birds will plant their nests there. And if you know anything about birds, they do that very wisely. So uh, this is a good principle. Okay, let's go to the next one. Know what we can do. Number two, he says we need to accept what we can do. There are many members, there are many of us, but not all of us have the same function, he says. Now, we realize when we come to the church that the Lord has designated by inspiration, once and for all, this is not going to change, no matter what culture says or what culture prefers, that Elders are going to be overseers, are going to be bishops, are going to be shepherds, presbyters, six different terms in the New Testament for this position. They are going to be men, and uh, they're going to be the husbands of one wife. That is to say, uh, uh, I don't think that's uh, limited to someone who loses a wife and remarries. I don't think it's limited to that. Uh, but what he says is, you know, they, they could not have more than one wife. Uh, but anyway, there are a number of positions like that, a number of qualifications like that in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. So we know that some of us are not going to be elders. Some of us are not going to be deacons. Some of us are not going to be maybe Bible class teachers or worship leaders or anything like that. 
but we're going to work with whatever that the Lord has given us the ability to do, what we have the desire to do, and what the elders give us charge to do. And we're going to do that to the best of our ability. So we need to accept, and we do not need to envy the position that someone else has. Uh, our, uh, you know, our roles in, in being proclaimers of the gospel, uh, you know, we, we need to be the greatest cheerleaders of all of our fellow preachers and uh, teachers need to be the greatest boosters of fellow teachers and on down the line it goes. Okay, number three, go to the next slide. God has given you a gift. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's exercise them accordingly. Now, uh, granted what Paul is talking about mainly to Corinth as well as to Rome is uh, the matter of the use of spiritual gifts. And uh, there are nine of them that are mentioned in the second paragraph of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't know if that's the full extent of them, but those are the nine that he mentions, you know, like speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, healing, prophesying, and so forth. So he says, every one of us is given a gift. So let's, let's apply that to where we are in the church in the 21st century, where there are no supernatural gifts. And God in his wisdom knew that in giving us the word, the word was going to be the standard by which we're going to operate and the standard by which we're going to do Bible things in Bible ways because the Word can be everywhere. It can be in front of everyone for them to read, study, digest, and live and teach. But let's, let's think about this from, from everyday life. There, there are some men who can see a pile of lumber and they can envision all kinds of things that that lumber can become. Me, I see just a pile of lumber. I kid you not. And then there are others that can see a track of land and envision a subdivision or another mall or you know something like that. Me, I'm thinking, ooh, boy, that'd make a great baseball field or a great football field or something like that. You know, um, I don't necessarily see what other people see, and all of us are distinguished that way. We need the talents of everyone. You know, you take, a, you take a children's group. There's going to be a child or children who are going to step up and provide leadership even among their peers, right? And as they advance into the youth group, they're going to be leaders that develop as a result of being given opportunity and training and instruction, encouragement uh, to step up. And then we move on into adult life and there are going to be those among us who develop skills and talents, sometimes from their training in school, in addition to their natural talents, their natural abilities. Uh, you know, it's not just anyone that we put up in the audiovisual booth, right? I mean, we, we've got to have people to understand all of that. And when, when things don't go right, they know what to do. Those of us on stage look funny when they don't go right. But they know how to fix it. And I'm grateful 
for those. I'm, I'm saying thank you for y'all's work. So in life, as well as in the church, we all have a skill or ability that we need to dedicate to the Lord. Now let's look next at the beginning of the examples Paul uses to prove his point. Uh, his next statement at the end of verse 6 is, use your gift. Now see, here's the encouragement. There were people who might be given a gift, a spiritual gift even, who may not be using it to the glory of God and to the good of people. You remember that Paul encouraged Timothy on a personal basis to stir up the gift that he had been given. I don't think that means that Timothy was lazy or anything like that, but he needed encouragement as a young minister, as a young evangelist, and Paul provided it. And by the way, that's no small thing. We're going to get to that in this list. Now, he mixes in this list both spiritual and natural. I mean, supernatural and natural gifts. This first one is definitely supernatural. He says, if your gift is prophecy, then prophesy according to the proportion of your faith. Okay? What that means is, is public and private proclamation. There are those that are going to be uh, preaching and teaching publicly in a public setting. There are those who are better equipped at that in one-on-one -on -one settings. In fact, it is amazing that sometimes we find people that are uh, effective in one-on-one -on -one settings just would not be as effective if they were up addressing a full group. And then the ones who's addressing a full group is not nearly as effective as someone who teaches one-on-one. -on -one. That is why that we need everyone. We need everyone called, like this morning, called to the gospel, who become children of God, who follow the example of the New Testament church in areas of worship and fellowship and so forth, and then who find their place in the body. He says, if service, and I'm glad, or ministry, I'm glad he puts this second. Because ministry refers to all of the behind the scene things in addition to all the public things. The work of the church, yes, there's a great deal of the church work done at the building, but more of the work of the church is done outside the building. When those of you who are parents and grandparents of children, obviously, that are here, but our grandchildren that are here as well, when you go home, your home is a Christian school. You know, you're teaching all the time. And there are some times that you are aware of what you're teaching, you do it deliberately, and then there are other times where you may be teaching unintentionally, but they're getting the message. They're, hearing, uh, they're watching an example in addition to hearing words. Well, that, that is a form of ministry. Uh, there are people who have you know, special talents. Well, certainly food preparation is a great talent. And taking it to people who need it so desperately, uh, not just fellowship meals, but people who are laid up for a while, uh, they need the encouragement of the meal, but they need the encouragement of the one that prepares and brings the meal. Uh, there are those of you who uh, sew uh, so beautifully and prepare things, built and bake things uh, that mean the world to people that receive them. Uh, there are just a lot of, of they're, they're caretakers. 
caregivers that, uh, you know, as our population grows older, uh, we're going to need more that are willing to sit with people and help people. Uh, I know there's professional help for all of that, but there's also help given uh, through the church. The one who teaches in his teaching, okay? Now, this refers uh, to classroom teaching, uh, especially in our Bible school program. But of course, it also teaches, like we said, in personal Bible studies, uh, answering questions, asking questions to have people to answer. And so there are teachers who need to be dedicating themselves. And I know, I, I know what it's like for those of you who have a class, in fact, some of you have had a class of a certain age group for years and years and years. I mean, uh, at the Estes congregation, where we were for uh, 24 years, uh, we had ladies that had been so devoted to the Bible school program that they practically had to die, you know, to be removed from the teaching of their class. Now, into that went a great deal of preparation. And uh, every day we need to be preparing ourselves. We never know when the opportunity is going to strike where we have the opportunity to teach something in behalf of the Lord. Okay, let's go to the next slide. We have four more very quickly. The one who exhorts. Oh, I love this one. You know, this, this list to me is kind of like the Beatitudes. I think, oh, this is my favorite until I get to the next one. <laughs> and then I say, oh, I love this one even more. Well, the one who exhorts in its exhortation. You see that hyphenation of the word encouragement. The word encouragement has the prefix en, which means with, and then meant on the end uh, is the suffix, which uh, uh, basically stands for, uh, you know, a situation or a setting. That word in the middle is the most important part of that word, courage. When you encourage someone, you give them courage. And let me tell you, it really is the easiest thing in the world to do. There are too many discouragers in the world. I mean, don't we feel sorry for any student that's in junior high? I mean, that is rough to go through. There's so much discouragement, you know, through those particular years of our development. You remember? Are you experiencing it? Uh, there, even in the church, there can be those who just seem to be born discouragers, and we, we've got to work our way out of that. Uh, this can be as simple as greeting someone. This can be as simple as uh, smiling at someone, extending the hand, giving a hug, remembering their name, if at all possible. That's getting harder to do, but if you can do that, you are giving a courage transfusion. And then when something really, really bad happens. And maybe no one knows, but you know, and you rush to their side. You know, it may be an emergency room. It may be uh, a uh, critical care unit. Um, it may be a rehab facility. But when you rush to the side of someone and you are there, Words are important, but feeling like we don't know exactly what to say is not nearly as important 
as being there. Presence. The power of presence. And sometimes we think, well, if I don't go, somebody will go. And if we have that kind of attitude about things, uh, nobody will wind up going. You know, when people need us. And again, to encourage. Now I think about the encouragement that by the very nature of teaching uh, has made all the difference in the lives of little ones, you know, coming up. And little ones will be able to tell you uh, many years later, well, my favorite teacher was, and the reason was, you know, she encouraged me. Exhortation is a stronger word than encourage in, in the New Testament language. It means encouragement with a push. You know, sometimes people need to be pushed. <laughs> they need to be encouraged, but pushed into an arena of service or of opportunity or of help that they are uh, perhaps uniquely in that setting prepared to do. Notice there are those who can give more generously than others in the church. Now, we do not cater to those people in the church. We're proud of them. We encourage them. We need them. But we need the widow with two mites as well, do we not? Because the widow with two mites revealed her heart in giving everything that she had. And you might say, well, a penny is not much. But if it's everything you've got, it's 100%, is it not? And it reflects the 100% nature of your heart. So we need to be liberal in our time and talent and treasure of giving. The one who leads, he says, do so with diligence. We mentioned this morning, we were eventually going to get to this. That means with whatever gifts the Lord has given to us, whatever gifts may have been developed as a result of training, experience, opportunity that comes into skill and a part of us that's easy as breathing. Well, he says, don't, don't sit on it. Be diligent. Don't be lazy with what God has given you uh, to help uh, spread the borders of his kingdom. And then, here again, ah, this may be my favorite, the one who shows mercy, let him do so with cheerfulness. Now, at the heart of this is the idea of patience, even long-suffering. We sometimes distinguish between patient and long-suffering biblically as being patient with people and being long-suffering with circumstances. Well, you could turn that around and it be just as meaningful. Uh, but there are some people to whom we can go that when we have made the worst mistake that we could possibly make and we need help, we need counsel, we need encouragement, there are some people who have a way about them of being gracious and not underestimating the seriousness of the sin or the mistake or whatever, but knows exactly what to do to help us. That's what we go to them for. We need their help. Why is it that we go to certain people for that and we would not go to other people for that? It is because they have revealed a spirit, an attitude, a disposition 
that you know is going to be gracious even when you have failed them, when you have failed their confidence in you. And Paul says that's a gift. And we're not talking about that gift in a supernatural sense. We're talking about it in a natural sense. Okay, let's go to our last slide. We're going to close with a noble example of this very spirit, this very attitude. Back in the fall of 1921, or 101 years, the elders of the Charlotte Avenue Church in Nashville, which is now merged with West Nashville Heights and is known as Charlotte Heights, the elders of that church wanted to have in the spring of 22 a citywide, countywide, really, campaign for Christ. And there were a lot of things to determine. One of the first things they determined was, we don't have a church building that could accommodate everyone that might come. The Ryman Auditorium, the Grand Ole Opry House that started about 1925, was not being used for Grand Ole Opry yet. It was a, and is a church building, if you've been there. And those pews go back to forever. They're still in that, that building. Well, they were able to secure that building that was built by Mr. Ryman uh, for the purpose of having uh, a place where large gatherings could meet. They secured that for about 10 days, 10 nights. And among the questions that had to, to be determined, who were we going to get to do the preaching? And if you could look at the list of men that were prominent at that time in leadership roles in the church, uh, you would be impressed with any number of them that would have been chosen. I mean, that would have been a hard decision. But they narrowed it down to two. There was a, a gentleman by the name of C.M. Pullius who preached for the East Main Church in Murfreesboro, a building that is still there today. And uh, it is an old structure, but they have had to add uh, balconies in each section of it for the crowds that attend. Uh, one of their great effective outreaches is to MTSU students. So Brother Pullius was well known and would have been a great choice. Uh, there was a, a gentleman down in Henderson by the name of N.B. Hardiman who would, as a result of even greater uh, fame, I guess you would call it, or at least uh, notoriety, uh, would become known as the Prince of Preachers at that time of that generation. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. They knew the character of each man and they determined that they were going to invite Brother Hardiman. Brother Hardiman would have a fabulous 10-day, 10-night campaign, 150 people baptized during that time. 50 additional people were baptized in church services the Sunday following the close of the meeting. The, the concern was, the elder said, you know, Brother Pullius knows that he's being considered for this, and knowing how preachers feel about opportunities and so forth, we're concerned about, about hurting his feelings. And they said, well, you know, Brother Pullius is also a great song leader. Let's invite him to lead the singing. And that's what they did. A couple of them went off to Murfreesboro, met with him. And according to those who passed this story along, 
through the church from that time till now. This is what he said. Next slide. Brethren, I will be happy to sweep the floors every night if that will help make this meeting a success. Now that's what we're talking about. That is what Paul is talking about in Romans 12, 3 to 8. If you need me to teach or if you need me to lead singing or if you need me to lead prayer or anything else, but really let me tell you, I'll be happy to sweep the floors if you need me to do that. In fact, we do a lot of that anyway, don't we? Have you seen cleanup crews after we've had a meal like this meal? They don't happen accidentally. A great deal of work goes into it, and we're grateful for everyone that participates. So Paul gets back to talking about attitude in the early part of this passage, but then he gives examples. And he said, if this is you, then dedicate yourself to doing the best at it that you can. Somebody else may be able to do it better, probably will. But be happy for them. Rejoice in them that they are a brother or sister in Christ. And they've taken on a responsibility that, that maybe has not been given to you, at least yet. It may come. But that, I think, is, is the mind of Christ that Paul talks about in Philippians 2 and verse 5. And I encourage it for you and for me. Every lesson always goes through the guy who's standing on the, in the pulpit on the stage before it ever goes to the audience. And so this is encouragement for all of us to take and, and to think about what contribution can I make to the Lord through the Olive Branch congregation that I have not perhaps done before. I've not said yes before. You know, I've, I've jumped in there uh, or not jumped in there to do the work that I could do. We close today uh, by reminding ourselves that the greatest honor, really the greatest honor in the world is being a child of God, a faithful child of God. Presidents and vice presidents and senators and you know, all kinds of things come and go. And history really in the final analysis hardly notes them. But what we're concerned about is, is being in that book of life knowing that our name is there, our citizenship is already in heaven, Philippians 3 and verse 20. And it's a result of being a child of God that remains a dedicated child of God, committed and devoted, and then serving to the best of his or her ability. Those are the great heroes and the great heroines in the eyes of God. And so it is to the Lord that we invite anyone who needs to respond. Thank you for being a part of this service this afternoon. And thank you again for the invitation to come and to be with you. Joan and I are the ones blessed. And we love you all uh, very much with the love of the Lord. Shall we stand and as we sing?